Um, The passage we're looking at is indeed, just as Mike said this morning, it's a very popular passage indeed. In fact, I I would imagine, now Mike said he's memorized the whole thing. I imagine that even for someone with just a little bit of a church background, would be able to at least recognize and maybe even recite a verse or two of 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of those passages that is just that popular. And we've all seen these verses or at portions of this chapter uh, printed in wedding invitations, uh, in bulletins, uh, in picture frames with the beautiful... A picture, maybe, um, in the background of a, of a frame or a poster uh, with a verse or two of 1 Corinthians in it. How many of you have seen those? Yeah. Very popular um, chapter, even to some lyrics in Christian songs. But what, what Mike had mentioned is very true. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been battling a frog in my throat all morning. Uh, We have the privilege today to look at what this passage is saying in the context of chapters 12 to 14. And while these verses can definitely be used in wedding ceremonies, they can surely be applied to marriage and family relationships, we cannot lose sight of what Paul is saying specifically to the church in Corinth And we can't lose sight, most importantly, to what God is saying to us today as Christ's church. I think Andy Nacelli gets very close to the heart of this passage when he describes 1 Corinthians 13 in this way. He says, when the Corinthians first heard these words, they would not have thought, aw, how sweet, what beautiful, inspiring words. That's what we often think in a wedding program, or in a beautiful picture frame. No, they would have received Paul's words as a verbal spanking. How would you like, how many of you got a verbal spanking this morning? (laughs) Ouch! The repentant might pray, God forgive us for being so unloving. The way we are acting is ugly, but the way of love is beautiful. See, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is to awaken us out of complacency. It's to awaken us to our place in Christ's church. It's to awaken us to our role to our fellow believer, our fellow brother and sister in Christ. So Paul is expounding for us on what he said at the end of chapter 12. In the last line, he says, talking about spiritual gifts, he ends chapter 12 saying, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So if we are going to walk down the path of the more excellent way in the Christian life, then we have to see the primacy of love. 
Love in our lives, love in our actions as a part of Christ's church. So in the course of chapter 13, and we're only going to look at the first three verses this morning, but in the course of the whole of chapter 13, we're going to look at three aspects of Christian love. And Paul very nicely lays out what, he, what is Christian love in this chapter. This morning we are going to look at love's importance. The foundational importance of love in the Christian life. That's verses 1 to 3. And then after, after showing to us the importance of love, what God does for us in this text is, is Paul is used by God to, sh- to describe love in verses 4 to 7. So lest we get kind of a false idea of what love is. Maybe we try to water down what love is. Maybe we try to distort exactly what love is. Verses 4 to 7, Paul very specifically defines, describes Christian love. And then at the end of chapter 13 and verses 8 to 13, we are going to look at love's endurance. That love endures. So this morning, once again, we come back to our main principle that we must cling to what truly matters. What is it that Paul is saying is foundational in the Christian life that truly matters? What does it look like to get back to basics in our Christian faith, in our walk, in our service to one another? It's Christ-like love. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love like Jesus. We're not called to love like our neighbor. We're not called to love as society would like us to. We are called, if we are truly followers of Jesus, to love like Jesus. So this morning, we're just going to take some time to look at verses 1 to 3 at the importance of of love. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, this isn't meant to be some guilt sermon that we don't simply don't love enough, though that may be true. Lord, this is to bring us back to basics. This is to provide us a reminder. Lord, we love because you first loved us. Lord, as we will see in in the coming weeks as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, Lord, you are the defining example of love. So Lord, help us to be able to love out of full hearts. To love that is bubbling forth from us as an overflow of your love to us. Lord, we cannot love the way we should if we are doubting your love. We cannot love the way we should if we are doubting your acceptance. So Lord, I pray that you would sure up our hearts 
regarding your love for us and that that love would then flow through us to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking this morning at love's importance. And by the way, I just want to take a quick uh, um, commercial break. Not really a commercial break. But we do, I think it was in the bulletin this morning, uh, if you have children here with us, we do have um, sermon notes, or children's bulletin, to help take notes. Uh, we really want every eye to be looking at this important passage, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, so we are looking at love's importance. Let's read together verses 1 to 3, follow along as, as I read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Quite a word picture. We'll talk about that. And if I have prophetic powers, or in other words, the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, wouldn't that be great? And if I have faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Man, isn't that contrary to the world's way of thinking this morning? Isn't that totally outside the scope of how we so often feel? We who judge success, even in our Christian life, based on the things we do or don't do? I mean, Paul's getting at a whole other element here in the Christian life. That which is not judged externally, but that which is internal. You see, we can play a good game in the Christian life. So many times our target is not to please Jesus, it's to please others. That if we can somehow meet the standard of others, somehow that is enough. And somehow we have arrived. And while Scripture does talk about externals, how a Christian should live, how a Christian should walk, that is never the foundation. That's always an overflow of something greater that God is doing in our hearts. So we are going to see from verses 1 to 3, the point that Paul is making is love over gifts. Again, as one person says, love is not a spiritual gift. It is essential for using spiritual gifts, and it is more important than spiritual gifts. That's what Paul's getting at here. Love is not a, a, some type of a spiritual gift that, that God gives to a few. No, love is to be the common denominator in all spiritual gifts. So we're going to take this morning, and we're going to look at some of these spiritual gifts that Paul describes here in the first three verses, and we are going to look 
at what Scripture says regarding love and the lack thereof. Paul starts by talking about tongues. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Paul's describing here, he's already addressed tongues in chapter 12. He's, we're going to see he addresses tongues in chapter 14. But he says here, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, and, and, and different theologians are kind of divided with how exactly Paul is approaching the gift of tongues. Is Paul saying that there is uh, tongues of men? So actual languages. And then there's also tongues of angels or heavenly language. Others say, well, no, Paul is kind of, he, he's, he's being very facetious. He's exaggerating to make a point that whether you speak in the tongues of men or if it was even possible to speak as lofty as a language that the angels speak. And yet you don't have love, it's worthless. It's, in, it's impossible to be dogmatic about what Paul is saying here. But the point is that without love, this gift is worthless. Now Paul mentions tongues here first, and then he's going to go to prophecies in verse 2, because this is one of the major problems the church in Corinth was dealing with. Almost like this battle that these were two very highly publicized gifts within the church. And you have individuals clamoring to speak specifically in tongues. Somehow that gift was elevated in the church. And Paul here is saying, no matter what the gift of tongues looks like that you are exercising, if it is void of love, there's the missing element, but have not love, and he's using himself as an example here, just as he said positively, be an as, as I imitate Christ, follow me, now he's saying I'm going to use myself as an illustration for a bad example of what not to follow. He says, if I don't have love, even if it's the tongues of angels, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you like to hear just a bunch of dish uh, pots and pans in your cabinet. Maybe you have think back to the toddler days. Maybe you're in those days, and they all come clanging out uh, because your toddler's in there, and it makes just a wonderful noise, doesn't it? Remember those days? I mean, that's the picture you get, that this is not just a one-time, like a Chinese dong, where it's like, dong. No, this is, this is the word picture and the language that is used, that this is like a continual banging. It keeps going and keeps going. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's continually making noise. That is what this high and exalted gift is without love. Now, I'm pretty tolerant in, in the house uh, with noise, and, and we kind of have to be with four kids. Um, in fact, Rachel sometimes is, it says, how can you 
uh, read a book or something in the midst of all the, the chaos that's going on around you. It's like, I don't know, I just zone it out. But you know, even then it gets to a point where like it gets so loud, it's like, all right, everybody's going to their rooms. I can't hear myself think. This continual noisy gong. That is what tongues looks like without love. You know, this word love, it's really interesting that in the book of 1 Corinthians, the word love is mentioned 14 times. In chapter 9 alone, or in chapter 13 alone, this word love is used nine times. Love is essential. You want to know the last time the word love is used before we get to chapter 13? And you want to get an idea of what Paul is talking about here? Jump back to chapter 8 and verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. But what does love do? It builds up. You see, Paul is talking here about the gifts of tongues that that are being used and people are priding themselves in this gift. But what is happening is it is puffing up the self up. Rather than being exercised with love that is meant to build up. Listen, parents, did you know that even when you are disciplining your children, when it is done in love, what's the purpose of that? It's to build your kids up, right? Kids, did you know you can take comfort in the fact when, when your parents tell you you're grounded, you can't play the video games, you know, you get a spanking, whatever, whatever it is that, that happens, that when that is done in love, that is actually for your good, for your building up. Even the tough things that, that God sometimes calls us to do, when done in love, are for the purpose of building up. That's why parenting and anger is such a, is such a bad thing because, because that is almost like a, a retribution that you are giving out to your kids and, and it all of a sudden becomes a thing of, of vengeance or somehow I was slighted and it no longer becomes a thing of building up, discipline for the purpose of building up. It can many times be discipline for the purpose of tearing down. Same thing can be done in churches. Man, when we have to correct a brother or sister, when we have to go to someone and say, hey, you know, you kind of offended me. When that's done in love, it's not done to destroy a relationship. It's done to build up that relationship. According to chapter 8, verse 1, and according to chapter 13, verse 1 here with tongues, even good things can be bad for us. I mean, chapter 8, verse 1, talking about I have knowledge. Did you know that you can have a knowledge of Scripture? You can have a hunger to know God's Word more and still be devoid of love? I mean, that's why people can, uh, can come week after week after week 
and even be uh, reading through books about the Bible and books of the Bible, and yet it never gets down to the heart. It never quite changes the life. It's because there's a disconnect there between what you are taking in and the foundation of love for God and then love for others. Some of the most quote-unquote biblical people can oftentimes be some of the most unloving. And that's because we as humans have the tendency to dissect the external from the internal. The resulting impact is nothing greater than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How impactful do you think this gift is, was, when done without love? But Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 2, he brings out a second spiritual gift, this gift of prophecy. If I have prophetic powers. Uh, Literally, he just says, if I have prophecy. In other words, if I have the gift of prophecy, and Paul has already addressed this gift of prophecy in chapter 12. And, and again, uh, Paul's going to encourage them to seek the gift of prophecy in chapter 14 above tongues. And then he describes the greatness of this gift of prophecy. Again, he, he's using kind of exaggerated language to prove a point. He says, if I have prophetic powers or the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. None of us, this side of eternity, have that ability. Look at verse 9. In reality, Paul says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Complete knowledge, complete understanding of God's mysteries is impossible this side of eternity. Again, this word knowledge Paul uses here, uh, it goes back to chapter 8, verse 1, that the knowledge that that they claim to have, it's simply puffing themselves up. When he talks about understanding all mysteries, that is a very important word in 1 Corinthians. Paul is not saying that these things are, 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 are bad things. These are good things. I mean, Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, I did not come proclaiming to you the the mystery of God with lofty speech or wisdom. No, he came in humility. And he said in chapter 2, verse 7, that we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. It's God's eternal plan of redemption that has been manifested through Jesus. So this mystery is really important. It is the very message of Christ crucified that baffled the minds of all who came before Christ. Paul in chapter 4 and verse 1 says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul is in no way undermining the importance of knowledge and mysteries, but that knowledge and mysteries will never be complete until Jesus comes. And and Paul's going further than that. He says, even if it was possible 
to have all of the biblical knowledge in the world, to know all of the mysteries of God. You jump down to the end of verse 2. But have not love, there's that phrase again, I am what? Something? I'm nothing. I am nothing. Don't we all desire to be something? Don't we all desire to be recognized? In one way, shape, form, or another. We like to be recognized for our work. I mean, all of you get a paycheck, right, at the end of the week for your work. You probably wouldn't work at your job too long without one. Don't you like to get a, hey, good job? At, uh, you're doing good, those yearly evaluations or whatever you may receive. Those things are nice and good, but there comes a point in our life when those things take an improper place of idolatry in our hearts. And what was happening in the Corinthian church is that they were seeking to be recognized as they were exercising the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy. And what Paul makes clear is you can understand everything about God which would be impossible. And if you didn't have love, you would have no standing before him. You would be nothing. Here these Christians were trying to gain status before man and ignoring their status before God. Jesus himself said, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Without love, I am nothing. A third spiritual gift that he mentions is not only tongues and not only prophecy, but it is faith in verse 2. He pairs up prophecy and faith back to back. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith. So, we have seen in chapter 12 that faith is a spiritual gift. Now, we are all called to have faith, right? Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. How do we come to, to, to Christ? We come by grace through faith. But in addition to the faith that we are all called to have in Christ, there is this spiritual gift of faith that individuals have the gift of faith that they are able to to go through situations and trust God in greater ways many times than others. That doesn't mean we say, oh, you know, we, we don't seek to have faith in God because we're not gifted that way. No. Think of George Mueller, for instance. He has an orphanage that would set the plates at the table, not even knowing when the meal's going to come, and what does he do? He prays in faith, and the knock comes at the door. There are individuals gifted with faith. 
And Paul here, again, speaking in exaggerated terms, says, even if I have all faith, I mean, there is a limitless supply of faith. This faith is so great, the text, Paul says, that I could remove mountains. That's a, that's a, that's a familiar analogy, isn't it? Jesus used this illustration of faith that moves mountains several times. In fact, in one place in Matthew 17, he uses it in the opposite way that Paul is using it here. Paul, uh, Jesus in Matthew is saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed grain, You can remove a mountain, cast it into the sea. Excuse me, that's the book of... uh, um, Yeah, Mark is speaking of casting the, the, uh, the mountain into the sea. Matthew 17, verse 20 says, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. He's, Jesus isn't saying literally that you need to pray and have faith to move that mountain, but he's being descriptive of faith. I have here, um, I've in this little jar, a bunch of mustard seeds. I know you can't see it. Maybe that's the point. Um, but this is, this is one mustard seed. Isn't that tiny? In fact, it just fell on the floor. If you want to, you can come up and you can look at these mustard seeds if you're not familiar uh, with what a mustard seed looks like. Timothy vacuums in here, so I'm okay to drop as many of these as I need. So you have a little mustard seed here. I don't know how else to hold it up. But isn't that tiny? So in in Matthew, Jesus is talking about the smallness of faith that can do great things. In Mark... He's not speaking of small faith per se, but just faith itself when he uses the analogy of moving a mountain. It's interesting that in Luke, talking about faith, he says, faith the size of a mustard seed can remove a mulberry tree. He gives the same analogy, but in in Luke, the disciples say, oh Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you even have faith as a mustard seed, you can remove the mulberry tree. He's saying, what he's saying in Luke is he's saying, you don't need to look for some extra faith you don't have. You need to plug into the faith that I've given you. And we can all identify with a lack of faith in our Christian lives. And just like tying in our service to Christ with true love and the tendency we have to dissect that, we have the tendency to dissect our everyday living from true Christian faith. Will God really provide for me? Does God really love me? Uh, Does God really hear my prayers because I don't feel like He is? Faith is vital. Paul is not trying to minimize the importance of faith. 
But what he is doing is he's exalting the prominence of love. Even if I have all faith and I do not have love, I am nothing. I want to give you the last two examples of spiritual gifts that Paul gives. In verse 3, Paul puts another pair of gifts together. And he says, if I give away all I have, and we can jump to that end phrase, but have not love, I gain nothing. So in verses two and verses one and two, Paul is, is saying that these gifts of prophecy, of tongues, of faith, these are sometimes the more showy gifts. We try to gain recognition from these gifts. And Paul says, man, when you get your focus on men, that is of no standing before God. You are doing nothing in God's eyes. And now he, get, he gets to these gifts of sacrifice, of giving. And he changes from saying, I am nothing, to I gain nothing. The gift described here again in great exaggerated terms, he specifically says, if I give away all I have. I don't think anyone has ever given away everything they have. In Romans 12, again, speaking of the good gift of giving, he says, the one who is, in Romans 12, 8, Paul says, the one who is gifted who contributes, let him do so in generosity. In other words, do it with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And God has indeed gifted individuals to be especially giving. It's not that all of us aren't called to, to, to give sacrificially and in faith, but God has gifted certain individuals to especially give in generosity. But even in giving everything away, Paul says it's possible to gain nothing. And then we jump, down, jump to the fifth spiritual gift, which is really a byproduct of a spiritual gift. For, for lack of a better term, I just uh, have, have, have labeled it martyrdom. The ultimate act of giving, right? Even if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the ultimate sacrifice. In fact, 1 Corinthians and Chapter 15, verse 30, Paul knows exactly what this feels like. In verse 30 of chapter 15, he says, We are in danger every hour. I protest, brothers, my pride is in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. In other words, Paul is always denying self, going through hardship for the sake of the gospel. You don't need to turn there, but... I'm, I'm going to read from you from Hebrews 11. Paul, or the author of Hebrews, I shouldn't say Paul, talking about the life of faith, what Christians in the first century went through. He says in verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. 
so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That is what God's people throughout history have gone through. And yet Paul says, even in giving the ultimate sacrifice of one's life, if that is done without love, I gain, you gain nothing. You see, folks, loveless giving, what it really is, is it's giving for self. What can I get out of it? What did Jesus say when he saw the Pharisees and they were on the street corners where they could be seen and they were boldly praying? They were giving so that others could see. What did Jesus say? He says, they have their reward. But it's the one who in the privacy of their closet falls on their knees in worship and humility before God, the one who in private gives sacrificially to the Lord, not to be seen, but as an act of worship, that is true love. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised for other, by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So as we conclude this morning, just looking at these gifts that are good things, but devoid of love are useless. I want us to turn as we close to the book of Colossians. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I want us to tie this all together. What is the so what of verses 1 to 3? Is it to make us feel guilty? Colossians 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I want to stop right there. This is describing, if you are in Christ, your eternal standing in Christ. You are God's chosen one. You are holy and beloved. When's the last time that you have meditated upon this reality, if you're a believer? That is to cloak everything else that we are to read in these next few verses. If you are not secure in your identity 
as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, these other things are just not going to be true of your life. As God's chosen, whole, chosen ones, holy and beloved, what are we to do? We are to put on then, in other words, this is the logical conclusion of that spiritual reality. We are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. Again, what's the foundation to this? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And boys, verse 15, big. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Folks, that thankfulness stems from everything that Christ has already given us not for something we somehow have to achieve or earn. It is, it is from the overflow of realizing what God has done for us, what Jesus has forgiven us, that enables us to put on love. That is the only thing that will accomplish the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. <clears throat> it is the only thing at the end of verse 15 that will truly unite us as one body. It is love that overflows from a full heart. Similarly, in Ephesians 5 and verse 2, that will be on the screen for you. The Scriptures say, and walk in love. What, just, just be a better loving person? No, that's not what the Scripture says. No, walk in love as Christ loves us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We love out of a heart full of the love of Christ. This past week, I was just peacefully working in my office, and I was, uh, I forget exactly what I was doing. I told somebody I was working on my sermon, and it was going to be a hellfire and brimstone sermon because of what happened. You'll understand the joke when I tell you. I was just peacefully working in my office. Uh, it was a Wednesday. John D. was, was working over on the, the activity center side, getting stuff ready for Awana. Um, Dennis was at a conference, so, so I was just me and John, um, and I'm working, and I notice, I'm, I look at my computer power bar, and, and it's getting low, and I, I had plugged it in to, my, to the power strip, and, uh, and I, I said, huh, my computer's not charging. I look down, and the power strip is on its side, and it's not all the way plugged in. And I was like, oh, okay, so I thought I was plugged in to the power strip, but was not. Now, power is not flowing through that cord into my computer that is energizing it, even though it was close to the power strip. 
And I think that's the way it is many times in our Christian lives. Man, we can be close to the power strip. We can be coming to church. We can be doing all these external things. We are doing, but we are not seeking to simply be. God, would you work in my life? Show me what you have done in the stillness of the moments. Would you lead me into a deeper relationship with you? Folks, it's in the private that all of the active is to work out. Man, if there is no private relationship that you have with God, I mean, you're just going from one thing to another, no wonder the love of Christ isn't flowing. Now, I'll finish the story. So I went to, to I, I kind of ducked under my, my little side desk. I have like a, an L-shaped desk. And I go under there, and, and, and I'm kind of trying to shove in the, uh, the, the, the cord in, back into the power strip. And then I have another cord that's running a, a space heater, and it's connected to an extension cord uh, going around back behind my file cabinet and into that same power extension. Well, over time, I don't know, I don't know if the thing just got weak, but one of the prongs broke uh, out of the extension cord. I hear this big pop and see a flash, and before I know it, the carpet in my office is on fire. <laughs> um, well, luckily it wasn't a huge fire, but man, in about 10, 15 seconds, that whole office was full of smoke. Uh, and I, I had a notepad. The only thing I could think of spur of the moment was this notepad that I just kind of stamped out the fire. I was like, what if that thing caught fire? What would I have done? Uh, but anyway, maybe we are not plugged in to the proper power source. And man, and then when the flames do go up, we act surprised. But just like that weakening cord, the problem's been going on a long while. We've just ignored it. And God, in loving grace, will allow us to reach, whether it's burnout, whether it's frustration, whether it's just, I am so discouraged in my Christian life, I need to, to, to seek Christ in a deeper more, more filling way, whatever the case is, God will bring us to that point, not in, in tearing down judgment, but he will bring us there so that we are truly plugged into his love, the vertical and then the horizontal to each other. Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Man, we like to have all these laws and all of these things, and Jesus boils it down. The two, two commandments are the greatest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wants our hearts, and that's the only way to effectively serve him. Have you given him yours.